It's time for the Word of God, and today the Word of God is coming from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 8, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 15. I'm going to read it from the New International Version. Uh, let's go to God in a word of prayer. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a word from the Lord in the book of Genesis chapter 8. Beginning with the 15th verse, listen to what God's word says. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. Verse 15 again says, then God said to Noah, come out of the ark. I want to preach about it won't always be like this. Hallelujah. It won't always be like this. There's a familiar phrase that says, when it rains, it pours. And that phrase, when it rains, it pours, is not talking about rain. It's talking about trials, troubles, and tribulation. When it rains, it pours. It's talking about heartaches and headaches and hardships. When it rains, it pours. It's talking about problems, pains, and persecutions. When it rains, it pours. When you have all of these little things coming down on you at one time. And the Lord told me to tell you that the storm you've been dealing with, the rain in your life, when it rains, it pours. God told me to tell you, it won't always be like this. Our grandparents used to sing a song that said, I'm so glad trouble don't last always. And who better to teach us about the fact it won't always be like this than Noah. Noah dealing with that serious storm that rained for 40 days and 40 nights and then the consequence of the storm lasted longer than a storm, 150 days of flooding for Noah and his family. And then they were on the ark for a little more than a year, waiting on the flood waters to recede and then waiting on the ground to dry up. And they were in quarantine. They were in social isolation. They were in social distancing for a little more than a year. And then that's when the conditions changed. That's when God turned it around in their life because it won't always be like that. We serve a God that has the capacity to change conditions. It's a trick of the enemy to make you think you're going to always be in what you're in right now. It's a trick of the enemy to make you think you're going to always be down and depressed and dismayed and always be in this situation. No, I serve a God that has the capacity to change conditions. Uh, well, uh, how does God do that? Well, the way he did it in the time of Noah, it rained 40 days and 40 nights, then uh, it stopped raining. So sunshine. Uh, so God used the sunshine to change those conditions. And then as chapter 8 of Genesis opens up, it says that God sent a wind to blow across the earth. And so God used wind to change the condition. And, and then, of course, 
Uh, Noah was on that ark for uh, a little more than a year. So God used time to change the condition. You know how God is going to change our condition? He's going to let the sun shine on it. He's going to let the wind blow on it. Then he's going to let Father Time sit on it. And when the Son of God begins to shine in your situation and mine, and when the wind of God's Holy Spirit begins to blow into our predicaments, and when we have the patience to wait on Father Time, God has a way to change it. And when God changed those conditions, that's when he told Noah, you can come on out now. But he didn't tell him to come out until those conditions change. You and I got to be conscious of the conditions. We cannot try to hurry God and rush God into something. It says that God told him to come on out when those conditions change. And it said, then Noah removed the covering off the ark. There was some kind of covering for that whole year on that ark, and Noah didn't remove the covering too soon. You and I got to be careful uh, that we don't, we don't move that which conceals our situation too soon. Uh, yeah, because you can make it worse than it was if you take your covering off too soon. I, I tell the young people in our ministry, be careful in relationships about uh, uncovering your stuff too soon. You need to keep it concealed. Uh, don't even show it. Don't even talk about it. Don't, don't reveal it. Don't pull it out. Just keep it concealed until things are solid. That's what I'm trying to get across to us. Uh, that sun began to shine. The wind began to blow. And then things got solid. It was muddy and murky and messy until God changed it. And, and until it got solid, just, just go on, Noah, and stay in your quarantine. And I don't care if it's relationships or if it's in a pandemic. You got to wait for things to get a little more solid before we decide to come out. And it's all about our patience waiting on God to move. Uh, my, my, my friend, Pastor Corey Brooks, he passes up in Chicago. He says that one of the measurements for true spiritual maturity is how we deal with the waiting rooms of life. Corey Brooks said, Spiritual maturity doesn't, doesn't have a whole lot to do about how we shout and run and dance and worship. He said, no, it's when worship is over. And you got to deal with the waiting rooms of life. And those waiting rooms of life begin to reveal to us whether or not we have real spiritual maturity. And all of us have had to deal with, with the waiting rooms of life. Somebody you thought uh, you'd be further along in your career by now. You thought you'd be near the top of the ladder of success, but uh, it's taken a little bit longer than you thought. Uh, you got to deal with the waiting rooms of life. Somebody, you thought your health would be a whole lot better. You had some issues and challenges, but you begin to eat right and exercise and pray and still not where you thought you should be. You're dealing with the waiting room of life. For somebody else is in the area of relationships. You thought by now you would have found Mrs. Wright and, and Mr. Wright. You thought by now uh, you would have had those two and a half children and that white picket fence. Uh, but it hadn't turned out to be like that. And you're dealing with the waiting rooms of life. Somebody thought you'd be a millionaire by now. Uh, it hadn't quite turned out that way because you got to deal with the waiting rooms of life and being patient. It was King David that said, I waited patiently on the Lord. We got to make sure things are solid and stable and sure. 
You can't come out when things are still murky and muddy and messy. It's got to, uh, the conditions have to change for us. The waiting rooms of life reveal our spiritual maturity. We know what that's like. All of us have gone to the doctor and had to deal with the doctor's waiting room. I tried to avoid that because when I make my doctor's appointment, I tell his assistant, I said, they they said, when do you want to come see the doctor, Pastor Johnson? I said, well, when is the next available day that he has nobody on yet? That's about six weeks out. That's when I want to come. Six weeks from now, I want to be the first one on. What time does this doctor start seeing people? 9 a.m. Put me down. Six weeks from now, 9 a.m. And I want to make sure I'm the first one there. So I get there 30 minutes early. And when I get there 30 minutes early, I discover I'm not the only one there. I found out then you cannot be the senior citizen to the doctor's office. They're there real early. And then come to find out that the doctor didn't give just me the 9 a.m. appointment. He gave 20 other people my 9 a.m. appointment. And now he begins, they begin to call the names. They're calling a different name. Now, I, I used to be like this. I used to get frustrated with the doctor. How you schedule all these people at the same time you schedule me? And I got frustrated with the names of the people that were being called. I'm mad at them. They didn't have anything to do with this. They're calling their names. But I learned how to deal with the waiting room at my doctor. I don't, I don't get mad at the doctor anymore because the very fact he's still calling names, I know he's still uh, diagnosing. He's still uh, writing prescriptions. He's still bringing about healing in situations. And I don't get mad at the people whose names are being called before me because I know that since he's calling their names, pretty soon he's going to get to mine. It's getting closer and closer to me. You're in the waiting rooms of life. When life begins to frustrate you, don't get mad at other people who are being blessed and doors are opening for them. Uh, that means that, that God is still in the blessing business. When God blessed that person with a house, that wasn't God's last house. When he gave them the car, that wasn't his last car. That career took off. That's not God's last career. That man, that woman, that wasn't God's last man or woman. Uh, that means that God is still in the blessing business. And, and their names are being called. That means it's getting closer and closer to your name being called. We have to wait until God changes conditions and hear the voice of God telling us now it's time to come out because it won't always be like this. And God is able to make those changes. And understand something too, that God is able to bring some constructive consequences even from our crisis. When we're in crisis and we go through storms, We always look at what we lost and and the negativity of it. I want you to understand that God is able to bring some constructive consequences out of crisis and out of storms. And in Noah's storm, he did lose a lot. 40 days of rain, 150 days of of floods, and then a year of quarantine. He lost lost his family, lost transportation, lost his housing, he lost his community. He lost a lot. Uh, But even though he lost a lot, God still did some very significant, positive things in his life. Here's what I'm trying to get across to you. Romans 8 to 28 says, and we know all things work together for good. Because you love God and you're called according to his person, because his purpose, and because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior. You believe Jesus died on the cross. You believe God raised him from the dead. His Holy Spirit has moved inside of you. God is working all things together for your good. Your crisis is not working for your bad. Your job loss is not working for your bad. 
Your financial situation is not working for your bad. Your health situation is not working for your bad. It is working for your good. And I know a lot of times we look at what we lost. We also need to thank God for what we still got left. You still have that relationship with God. You still got Jesus. You still can think. You still have your creativity, your ingenuity. And God is using that to work it for your good. Well, Pastor, what in the world? What good can come out of all the mess we're going through? Well, when God told uh, Noah after that year of quarantine to come on out after that storm, uh, the, the Bible says in Genesis 8 that Noah came out and it said he came out with Mrs. Noah. He came out with his sons and he came out with his son's wives. And in the NIV, it says, and they came out together. Even if they went in separately, they came out with unity because God brings solidarity in family even out of the crisis that we're going through. They may have gone in separately, may have gone in individually, but they come out in unity. And you and I got to be careful that we don't allow the crisis that we go through to bring disunity in our family, but solidarity to bring unity, to bring us together. Because some of us are going to come out of this crisis because it won't always be like this. And somebody, you're going to come out, but you're going to unfortunately come out with your wife, but not your children. Or come out with your children and not your wife. Come out with your husband, but not your children. Come out with your children, but not your husband. Because if we're not careful, we allow the difficulties we go through to bring division in family. Here's how you can use your crisis and allow God to bless you and your family. That in your crisis, use this as a time to get closer and closer to the Lord. If you're not a Christian, believe Jesus died on the cross. Believe God raised him from the dead. Receive him by faith. And say, you, now you're saved. And as Christians, use this time in prayer and fasting and reading God's word and connecting with other Christians and, and, and worshiping God. That way you're getting closer and closer to the Lord. And as you get closer and closer to the Lord and your family gets closer and closer to the Lord, you can't help but get closer and closer to each other. So when you come out, you and your family come out together. And then it also, this crisis can bring connectivity in community. You talking about the good that can come out of this? The connectivity in community. Yo, I have seen that in our own context. I have seen ministries that have not worked together all of these years now beginning to work together. I've seen government officials who didn't have anything to do with each other now coming together to address the crisis that we're in. I've seen people of different races and colors and backgrounds that never associated with one another coming together to be a blessing in this community because God is able to take the crisis that we're going through and bring connectivity in community. This is not the time for you to handle it all by yourself and try to deal with it all by yourself and not the time for you to try to bless others all by yourself. One could put a thousand to flight, two could put 10,000 to flight. We just do better when we work together, especially those of us who are Christians. We, there are many members, but there's only one body of Christ. That one body of Christ, different members, different skills, different abilities, different gifts, different backgrounds, but we're in that one body. And why won't we allow the power of God's Holy Spirit in our crisis to bring connectivity in our community? I'm trying to tell you that God is able 
even in a crisis, to bring some constructive consequences. Watch what Noah does. God said, all right, Noah, it's time for you to come out. I've changed the conditions. Situations have changed. And now it's time for you to come on out. And he told him, now when you come out, bring out the animals, bring out the birds, bring out the creatures that crawl along the ground. And then he brought them out. And then here's what it said. So that there will be, so that you can multiply, you can be fruitful, you can increase. And then uh, it, it, one translation says, and replenish. Now watch the terminology that's being used here with Noah. It, it hadn't been used. He's an old man. But it wasn't until after his storm that you start hearing words like multiply, fruitful, increase, replenish. Because God can do some constructive things even out of our Christ. God is able to bring efficiency in productivity. That's what I'm looking for. Efficiency in productivity. Yes, I've had a storm. Yes, it lasted 40 days. The consequences lasted 150 days. It was muddy and murky and messy. Yes, I had to be quarantined for a year. I've had to have social isolation for a year. But now that I'm coming out, God says, now you're getting ready to produce. Well, how does, what does that look like? Well, before Noah got on the ark, God told him to take two of every kind of unclean animal and then um, for, unclean, for clean animals, then take seven pairs, male and female, seven pairs of unclean animals. Why is God telling him to put all these animals on here? Because God knows the storm, it's not going to always be like this. And when you come out, I want to put you in a situation that you can produce. That's why it's male and female. And so now, here's what Noah has to do. He's coming out. He's getting ready to produce. But the way he's going to produce, he's got to put them together. He's got to network. He's got to connect them. And if you're going to produce, Noah knew, I got to plant some seed. Oh, my goodness. That is so significant because some say, I already know, Pastor, when I come out of this, that, that I'm waiting on God to produce. I'm waiting on God to bring productivity in my life. And I know God is going to open the windows of heaven. He's going to pour me out a blessing. OK, God will. And the Bible says he'll open windows of heaven and he'll pour you out a blessing. But, y'all, he's not going to open the windows of heaven and pour you out of Bentley and open the windows of heaven and pour you out of Benz and open the windows of heaven and pour you out a, a, a BMW. And open the windows of heaven and pour you out a split-level home in the suburbs. That's not how God does it. But it's the hard work of farming on earth. And when you bring God 10%, your tithe out of your hard work on earth, God says, I'm going to open the windows of heaven, and I'm going to pour you out rain. I'm going to pour you out what you need from heaven to touch your hard work on earth. And now you become so productive, you don't have room enough to receive it. So, no, if you're going to produce, it's not just standing around doing nothing. You got you to put some things together. You got to network. You got to connect. You got to plant seed. And, Noah, you can't produce until you come out of the ark. It won't always be like this. And when you see the conditions change and when things are no longer muddy and murky and messy, now you got to come out. You can't spend the rest of your life Stuck inside. I know, Noah, I, I, I know, Mrs. Noah, you, you're afraid you might drown. You're afraid it might turn bad again. You're afraid. But when you hear the voice of God and you're conscious of the conditions, 
you got to come out if you're ever going to produce. You can't produce the way God wants you to produce, Noah, if you don't come on out of that ark. There is um, uh, there's something called agoraphobia. Agoraphobia, fundamentally, it is the fear of open spaces. Fundamentally, it's more to it than that. But it's the fear of open space. Who was that that said uh, to his little brother? He knew his little brother had some issues with open spaces. And he told his little brother, I will lock you in a room with open doors. Don't allow the enemy to bring so much fear and anxiety in you that you get locked in a room with open doors. That when those conditions do change and when things start getting better and it's time to come out, uh, you, you don't, don't allow the enemy to lock you in your space. I, I know that there is a fear of open spaces, agoraphobia, a fear of, of being in a situation that there is no exit. So you're out and about and you just feel so, y'all, God didn't give you the spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. You have got to come out. You've got to produce. And watch this. In order for Noah to produce, he didn't come out consuming. He didn't come out of the ark and try to consume everything. He came out and began to plant seed and began to connect and put together. He produced. I've been telling our congregation for 32 years now that when all you do is, is consume what other people produce, it'll lead to your poverty. But when you evaluate need, and start producing what other people need and consume. <laughs> That's when it leads to your prosperity. He came out producing. So as we're coming out, it's, it's a different world than, than where we come from. This, 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 after this storm, after this pandemic, after this crisis, it's a new normal. So you have to evaluate what's going on right now and make sure that you're ready to produce in this season. And for some of us, it means we're going to have to rethink our lives. For some of us, we need to be re-educated. For some of us, we need to be retrained. And for some of us, we need to reposition ourselves. Don't, don't get so caught up in your comfort zone uh, that you won't come out. In your comfort zone that you won't reposition and retrain and re-educate because you want to put yourself in a position that you can produce in order to increase and multiply and replenish. God has that for you, but you got to be willing to do what you need to do. And I know some of us are saying, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm too old for that. And I, you know, I've, I've been doing what I've been doing for a long time. And I know in this new normal, in this new world, is that won't happen. But I'm, I'm too old to be re-educated and re- my, my, my oldest son and I had a conversation not long ago, and I'm, I'm proud of all four of my sons, especially in the area of education. They got bachelor's degrees and master's degree, and I, I thank God for that. But my, my oldest son was contemplating on working on his Ph.D., he wanted to get a doctor. There are different kinds of doctors you can get. He's a preacher. He's in ministry. There are different kinds you can get. But on top of that is that Ph.D., and so he was asking me, what do I think? And I said, man, I'm, I, I would go for it. You need to go on and go for it. And, um, but, uh, you know, he's, he turned 32. And he said, Dad, the program is, is six years. I said, well, you know, son, God speaks to us through situations and circumstances. The only Ph.D. program in, in African-American preaching and sacred rhetoric 
is in Indianapolis at Christian Theological Seminary. You live in Indianapolis. You minister in Indianapolis. You pastor in Indianapolis. You live 10 minutes from Christian Theological Seminary. God speaks through situations and circumstances. He said, but it's a six-year program. I said, all right, I understand. I understand what you're saying. That's a, that's a long commitment. I said, son, you're 32 years old. It's a six-year program. Uh, when, when you, in six years, if you go through that PhD program, how old would you be? And, and he said, um, I'll, I'll be 38. I said, okay, let's say you decide not to go through the PhD program. You're going to be satisfied with where you are right now. In six years, how old would you be? He said, dad, I'll be 38. I said, that's what I'm trying to tell you. Either way, you're going to be 38. <laughs> so you can be 38 in your same situation, or you can be 38 with a PhD. And I thank God that he heard the voice of God, and he came out of that comfort zone and made that commitment, and now on his way to positioning himself to produce. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's time to come out. God is using this crisis to bring your family closer together, to bring our communities together, to help you and I to produce at a level we've never been able to produce at, to multiply, to increase, to replenish, to be fruitful. Let me give you one more. How does God bring constructive consequences from crisis that we go through? Well, he also works on the quality of our spirituality. I know so many people who claim to be so spiritual, and some who've never given their life to Jesus Christ by faith but still claim to be spiritual. Some who've given their life to Jesus, they believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, except, except him by faith. And having grown since they've said, don't read the word, they don't pray, they don't fast, they don't give, they don't serve in the kingdom of God and still claim to be so. So we got so many people with our own mentality and mindset about what real spirituality is all about. And so God says, I'm going to help you with your spirituality. I'm going to allow a crisis to come so that now you make up in your mind you want to get closer and closer to me. Let me show you what I mean. In Genesis chapter 8, after that one year of quarantine, after that storm and things got solidified, that's when, that's when Noah, God said, time to come out. And he came out. And when he came out, verse 20 says, the first thing he did was build an altar. The first thing he did was not get those animals together that they could produce. The first thing he did was not plant seed so that he could produce. The first thing he did was not build a house for himself and his family. The first thing he did as he came out of that crisis was to build an altar. This is so significant to me because I'm, I'm born and raised in the church. I was in church before I knew I was in church. My mother raised us in church. And I've, I've, I've been a part of ministry for more than four decades and I know, as everybody else who's been a part of anybody's church for two weeks, you know that Noah built an ark. Everybody knows Noah built an ark. And I've heard sermons after sermons about Noah built an ark. And I haven't heard any sermons on the fact Noah built an altar. Why won't we put emphasis on his coming out of the crisis? It won't always be like this. And the first thing he built was an altar, a place of worship. And some will argue, well, he should have built his own house first. No, Noah understood that if I help build God's house, then God will help build my house. And I learned that too. If you help take care of, of the family 
at God's house, then God will help take care of the family at your house. If you help pay the bills at God's house, I can testify God will help pay the bills at your house. When you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything you need, Jesus said, will be added unto you. And Noah said, coming out of this crisis, I'm not turning my back on God. I'm not running from God. I'm not out doing my own thing. I'm building an altar. I'm building a place of worship. And he began to worship God there. And the way he worshiped, it said that he took one of the clean animals and he sacrificed a clean animal at the altar. And he was, he was like making a clean offering to God, a clean sacrifice unto the Lord. Because he knows that if I sacrifice for God, then God is going to take care. And some, we, we got to get that in our spirit. That when you bring the tithe, God opens the windows of heaven, pours you out a blessing. You don't have room enough to receive it. That when you give, God gives back to you good measures, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He brought a clean animal and sacrifice. A clean animal? Uh, yeah, a clean offering. A clean, y'all, if there is a clean offering, there's got to be a dirty offering. A dirty offering, yeah, when God commands us to bring a tithe and we bring a tip, that's a dirty offering. When we're still giving the same dollar in 2020 that our grandparents were giving in 1920, that's, that's a dirty offering. When God has been so generous towards us, with all that generosity towards us, and we're so stingy towards him, that's a dirty offering. But Noah said, I need a place of worship. I need an altar. I need to give God a clean offering. And also the altar is about prayer. Yo, when God brings us out of this, that's not the time to stop praying. That's the time to continue to, some of this crisis pushed us into prayer. And then we had to keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. Because now we're praying for the solidarity of our family. We're praying for the connectivity of our community. We're praying for the efficiency of our productivity. We are praying for the quality of our spirituality. There is power in prayer. Jesus said, up until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask in my name and you shall receive. There's power in prayer. You have not because you ask not. Don't you stop praying as God is bringing us out of this. Um, David Page used to be a, not only a member of our congregation, but a minister here. He was on staff and he was here at Eastern Star Church for a at least 17 years, and he served in different capacities. And, and at one point, he was my personal assistant. And then the Lord called him to the New Baptist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. So he pastors downtown Indianapolis. But while he was on staff at our church, um, he came in my office and, and started asking me, he said, Pastor, did I leave my keys in here? I said, Paige, you came in here earlier, but I don't see any key. I don't think you left your keys in here. And come to find out later, he had gone into everybody's office in the building looking for his keys. Did I leave my keys in here? And the, the keys were the, key, uh, the keychain that had keys to his house, uh, had keys to his car. It had keys to his office, his business where he, where he takes care of here at the ministry. And so he's looking for his keys, keys to his home, the key to what drives him and the key to his career. He can't find it. And he comes back later on. I said, Paige, did you ever find your keys? He said, yeah, Pastor, I found my keys. I said, well, where were they? He said, I forgot I started my morning off at 
at, in prayer at the altar in the sanctuary. And when I got through praying in the, at the altar of the sanctuary, I left and started doing the work and I forgot. And that's where I left my key. I said, Paige, are you trying to tell me that the key to your home and the key to your career and the key to what drives you was at the altar? And that's what I'm trying to tell us. As we come out of this and seek to move on to what God has for us, the key to your home life, the key to what drives you, the key to your career, the key to your spirituality, it's at the altar. Noah said, I need a place of worship and making those sacrifices and offering those prayers. Let me close the message like this. I just, I just want you to know it won't always be like this. The Lord is going to have the Son of God to shine on. He's going to have the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow on it. He's going to have Father Time to sit on it. And we're going to be patient and hear God's voice, check out these conditions, and allow God to tell us when to come out. And when we come out, I know God is going to make it better for us than when we went into the storm in the first place because God works all things together for good. Um, I'll shut it down here. My, uh, my friend Tony Evans pastors in Dallas, Texas. He tells a story of a woman that was walking along the beach and she saw this huge loggerhead turtle, a female loggerhead turtle. And these loggerhead turtles can get to be like 300 pounds. So the loggerhead turtle comes out of the water, comes across the sand, digs a hole in the sand and begins to lay her eggs. And after she brought her babies into the world, now she's, she's now headed back to the water, to the ocean, but she gets disoriented. And she's going in the wrong direction. She's moving away from the ocean where she needs to be to survive and thrive. That's her element, the ocean. But she's disoriented. She's lost. She's going further and further away. And then here comes one of the rangers in his Jeep. And he sees this disoriented uh, loggerhead turtle. And he pulls up, jumps out of his Jeep, grabs a chain, throws it around the loggerhead turtle, and flips that loggerhead turtle over on her back. And that loggerhead turtle's there struggling on her back. And then the ranger takes the chain and chains it one end to her leg and the other end to his Jeep. And that 300-pound loggerhead turtle, he begins to drag her towards the ocean. And that he drags her towards the ocean and he gets her closer and closer to the ocean. Now she's got her bearings. She's no longer disoriented, no longer lost because of what she's just been through. And now... She's able to survive and thrive. I'm sure in the process that loggerhead turtle was wondering, why is he treating me so badly? Why is he turning my world upside down? Why is he dragging? She must have thought, why is he trying to kill me? But the ranger wasn't trying to kill her. The ranger was saving her. But in order to save her, he had to flip her upside down and drag her and get her back to a position where she could survive and thrive in her element. That's what I'm trying to tell you. When we're going through this, man, it seems like God is trying to kill us. It seems, I mean, God has turned our world upside down. Financially, careers, health, loved ones. It, it seems like, why is God trying to destroy us? no. God is not trying to destroy us. So many of us have gotten lost. We're disoriented. We're not as spiritual as we thought we were. So God says, I know how to get you straight. I know how to get you straight.
I'm going to turn your world upside down. And since you wouldn't come on your own, I'm going to drag you to a closer relationship with Jesus. I'm going to drag you to a connection with church. I'm going to drag you to a connection with other Christians so that you can survive and thrive and take care of those babies that you brought into the world. That, yo, know, I just want you to understand it won't always be like this. I can see the breaking of day. God is making a way. There's a change for me. If I just stand strong and believe, there's no reason to doubt. God is working it out. It won't always be like this. God is perfecting that concerning you. Yo, I just want you to understand that God is turning it around for you. That's what Vashon Mitchell said. Then he kept on saying, he's turning it around. He's turning it around. He's turning it around. He's turning it around. It won't always be like this because God is turning it around for you. Amen and praise God. Hallelujah.